Today on Ag News Daily. That data is sent to the USDA, a clearinghouse, and that clearinghouse says this farmer is in Effingham County, Illinois, and it makes that available to the Effingham County, Illinois Farm Service Agency office. Good afternoon, listeners. It's Ashton Carr on the podcast today with Delaney Howell. Delaney, how's it going today? It is going pretty good, Ashton. How are things in your world? Not too bad. I had my first Zoom call of the day already this morning with class, and it's a bit weird, again, just being on Zoom, but we got a little bit of a taste of it last semester. But uh, yeah, good, good start to the week, good start to the school year. Well, that is fantastic, Ashton. And you know what else is fantastic? We actually had a meeting between the United States and China yesterday. Uh, U.S. Trade Representative Robert Lighthizer and Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin talked to China by phone Monday evening. More specifically, they talked with Vice Premier Liu He about the current Phase 1 trade agreement. No real details from this call have been released yet. However, we did see the USDA announce Tuesday morning that Chinese importers contracted to buy some pretty hefty amounts, new amounts of U.S. corn and soybeans just hours after that call. They've already purchased nearly a billion metric tons of U.S. corn and soybeans for delivery in 2021 marketing year, uh, but they didn't release details on how much these new contracted purchases are going to be. So we will have to wait and see what that looks like, but I think that is good news. Uh, the markets have been responding favorably, not only to you know, some Chinese demand here, but I think other factors are definitely playing uh, in the markets this week. So it seems Chinese demand is definitely going to continue to pick up from here, according to the USDA as well as the White House. Well, I am certainly glad that they finally had that discussion. And I also have some news coming out of China concerning African swine fever. The Ministry of Agriculture and Rural Affairs said earlier today that China has begun a strict crackdown on the production and use of illegal African swine fever vaccines after anecdotal evidence of the widespread use of such products. China is trying to rebuild its hog herd, of course, after the African swine fever killed millions of pigs in the country in the past two or so years. And there's no cure or approved vaccine anywhere in the world. But China is close to approving the first African swine fever vaccine and last week said it was expanding clinical trials on a promising candidate. But illegally produced vaccines have circulated in the market for months, however, and could complicate the introduction of an officially approved product. Oh, wow. That seems like a big advance if they do find some sort of vaccine for that. Yes, I'm hoping that they continue to advance and try and find a vaccine. But it sounds like there's some folks out there that are tampering with these vaccines. Mm. I'm not exactly sure what's going on with those fake products or those illegal vaccines, but hopefully we can uh, get to the bottom of that. 
Yeah, let's hope we do, Ashton. Uh, one other thing we're getting to the bottom of is finally the amount of damage that came out after last week's storm swept across Iowa. Iowa lawmakers are asking the USDA to promptly grant a disaster designation for 57 different Iowa counties that suffered from, you know, different structural damages, crop damages, etc. And they also went on to say lawmakers said that nearly 725 million bushels of corn and about 153 million bushels of soybeans may be lost from either storage or elsewhere. Um, the letter also says that satellite data and preliminary storm data do indeed report about 5 million acres of damaged corn and soybeans. So a little lower than what we originally discussed. I believe Kim Reynolds, governor of Iowa, at one point had said 10 million acres. So that seemed a little high compared to satellite and preliminary storm data. But definitely still a lot of corn out there that could be impacted you know, as we move forward and move closer to harvest, I know a lot of farmers are dealing with crop adjusters and insurance folks coming out to the farms here over the next couple of weeks. I've heard some not so happy rumors that uh, this year's crop insurance is going to be a hard one to get. Um, I heard some interesting ways about how they're adjusting for the damage this year. So, we're going to have to get somebody on the podcast to talk a little bit more in depth about that, but definitely going through some challenges this year. Definitely, Delaney. And I'll have to keep my eye out and try and find someone to come on the podcast to talk to us a little bit more about that. But one other thing that I have been keeping my eye out on this summer is the USDA's Farmers to Families Food Box program. And I have just a small update about that program from President Trump. And yesterday he was in North Carolina and said that the USDA's Farmers to Families Food Box program has been very successful and the administration will provide another $1 billion to fund it. And it hasn't been confirmed from the USDA yet on whether or not that will be happening but Undersecretary Greg Ibach told Brownfield Ag News last week that the USDA has been able to include more local growers in the coronavirus food box program. And he was quoted as saying the program has worked the way it was intended to, to try to provide opportunities for local production to be included. And we're seeing that happen now. So I will continue to keep an eye out on this program and see if we do get that $1 billion from the USDA to continue to fund it. All right. Well, I have just one other quick piece of news for today, Ashton. And it's more of a speculation, I suppose you could say, than news. But we are anticipated to get a big announcement tomorrow from the USDA and EPA. They are having a joint conference tomorrow morning. You are actually going to be sitting in on that for us. And it's rumored that it's going to be something related to either ethanol or the biofuels industry, especially as refiners are pleading with President Trump on the one hand to approve small refinery exemptions. On the other hand, we're seeing senators and legislators from Corn Belt states pleading with President Trump not to continue these small refinery exemptions. So I am thinking, I'm speculating when we see USDA and EPA pair up to have some sort of joint press conference that there's going to be something big coming out of that. And I am very strongly thinking that something along the lines of ethanol and the small refinery exemption waivers are going to be a topic of discussion for tomorrow. But it's been kind of hush-hush, top secret. So we will find out for sure. And uh, 
If that is the case, we will be playing those comments tomorrow on the podcast. I'm super excited to sit in on that conversation, and I'm excited to share that with our listeners. But other than that, Delaney, I'm all out of news. I am as well, Ashton. Let's take a look at the markets for today because we had some excitement in the grain markets. It appears Ted Seifried might be right. We might be heading Treading, trending higher, especially in the soybean pits. But everything had an up day today. Starting off here, taking a look at the September corn contract, up nine cents on the day to close at 340 and three quarters. The December up nine and a half to end the day at 355 and 354 and a half. In the soybean pits, the September contract put on 14 cents to close at 913 and three quarters. The November New crop contract put on 14 and a half cents to close at 9.20 and a quarter. Even wheat saw strength today as the September contract closed up six and a half cents to close at 5.27 and a quarter. The December up seven and three quarters cents to close at 5.35 and a half. In the livestock markets, strength continues today, except for the August live cattle contract, but it is near expiration. Here closed down 7.5 cents to close at 105.50. The October put on 85 cents to close at 108.77.5. In the feeder cattle pits, the September contract put on 22 cents to close at 143.07.5. The October up 25 to close at 143.07.5. In the lean hog pits, the October contract up $1.35 to close at $55.90. The December up just $1.07 to close at $56.67 and a half. And taking a look at the Class 3 dairy futures, the August contract shed just two cents today to close at $19.59, quickly nearing expiration. And the September up $0.75 cents today to close at $16.55. I tell you what, this might be the first day in quite some time where all markets ended positive for the day. But of course, now that we are finished with markets, it is our Tech Tuesday discussion for today. We are talking to Deb Casarella from My Ag Data. So let's kick it over to our conversation with Deb. Well, for today's Hashtag Tech Tuesday interview, we are joined by Deb Casarella, who is the founder of MyAgData. Deb, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Thank you. So Deb, let's talk here a little bit about your background and how you came to start MyAgData. Sure. I am um, an uh, information technology professional by trade. I enjoy working on projects, opportunities, um, things that help make a difference in um, the, the lives and well-being of people. And I started my ag data eight years ago um, because I saw an opportunity. I saw where the the U.S. Department of Agriculture was going. Well, let me let me start over. Um, sorry, uh, I. I looked at where Congress was going in passing legislation in the Farm Bill and realized that where the USDA was going is was to streamline the ability for a farmer to interact with the government. And, and one way to do that is to be able to allow them to report their acreage electronically and use that for crop insurance and farm programs. So how does my ag data help with growers doing all that? We take either data captured in the field through the Precision Ag technology 
or um, field boundaries that farmers have um, that have been created or, or by themselves or their ag service provider, or they can use fields that they select or draw on a map. So they identify their planted fields, what they plant, when they plant it in them, and that information is transformed and sent to the USDA so that when they go to their crop insurance agent and their farm service agency office, the data sit in there waiting for them. So their appointment with an FSA office, as an example, can go from four hours to 15 minutes for a thousand acre farm. So Deb, do you, does my ag data actually take this information, take the data, just to clarify here that I'm understanding it, take this information from the farmer and send it to a local county FSA office if that's what they choose, or is it more so a, a factor of reporting it, you know, when we have to do like acreage numbers or crop insurance numbers and report that at a national level? It is reporting. Uh, so the data is collected from the farmer with authorization, and then that data is sent to the USDA, a clearinghouse, and that clearinghouse says this farmer is in Effingham County, Illinois, and it makes that available to the Effingham County, Illinois Farm Service Agency office. And then it also sends it to the crop insurance company that that farmer is insured, where the farmer is insured. And have you found that farmers are willing to use a service like this, we often talk to farmers that, you know, maybe don't like to share their acreage numbers with the USDA for acreage reports or have some concerns about data transparency and privacy issues. Do you come across those issues? And if so, how do you handle those? We do. We come across those those all the time. And what it really gets to is um, a level of trust between the farmer and um, their ag service provider or their technology. So we very early on um, set forth two policies. One is the farmer owns the data and they authorize its use. And the second is we only share with the USDA that information that is required to be shared. So if I walk into my county office, I've got to tell them my acres planted, my plant date, um, you know, where on the earth that data was planted. So we don't give the government any more information than the government requires to administer farm programs or crop insurance. So it, it is, again, owned and controlled by the farmer, reviewed in advance by the farmer, and the farmer actually presses the button to send the data for their I think, uh, provider. Right. And I think a lot of farmers appreciate that, being able to see what data is being released. But talk me through a little bit more. You mentioned a, a thousand acre farm. It could save you, you know, four hours worth of time where you have to go in to physically visit that FSA office. Tell me a little bit more about that, saving time and money through using my ag data. Yep, and I'm going to use a, a, a COVID example if I could. So um, right now, there's a county in Wisconsin and probably counties all across the country that set up a tent outside of the Farm Service Agency office. And through a slot in the door, they hand the farmer their paper maps. The farmer sits at the picnic table under the tent, and they write on those paper maps what they planted, when they planted it, where they planted it. And so they're, they're comparing that to um, their notebook that they've got in their pocket or their memory and they're writing on those paper maps and then they pa they sign them and pass it back through a slot on the door and that information is manually keyed or uploaded or loaded by the the program tech in the farm service agency office so instead what we do is we send that data electronically 
to the USDA. And once the USDA goes nationwide with um, the technology that they're releasing at the end of, of September, they will be able to see those fields that were submitted electronically on the map. And so then when the farmer goes to the office, they're reviewing to make sure that all the fields are reported and the field report is accurate. If there's something that's wrong um, on those maps that the county office gives them, they can pencil it in and, and, um, and sign that. That becomes their certified acreage report. So there's, there's a, um, a process to collect the data from the farmer, get it to the USDA, and then present that back to the farmer as part of their acreage certification in the county office. So that's where the time savings come in, in that they're not outside writing on maps. Go, it, um, having the USDA Farm Service Agency key that information and then regenerate those maps. They're, they come generated. So those their fields are on the maps identified with the crop and the planting. So Deb, you touched a little bit on kind of the process of submitting data, farmers doing that through my ag data, but what does that dashboard really look like? Could you just expand a little bit more about that and what the boarding process looks like and how that works? Yep, so it's a map. It's an electronic map. It's They can have it on their phone, they can have it on their iPad or Android device. They could um, have it in their home office and their computer. So what they're doing is they're looking at the map maybe connecting it to one of the equipment manufacturer clouds like Climate Field View or, or the John Deere Operations Center or AgBridge. So they're, they're connecting it. We're pulling in that data as they're planting. And then they go in and look at their planted fields on the map, making sure that they're, they're all there and they're all um, reported correctly. As in, we've pulled the data. And, and if there's a field that is wrong, they can delete it and re-load um, that field. They can change the crop. They can change it from irrigated to non-irrigated. Just a whole series of things that they're doing while looking at a map and um, reviewing their fields as they have come in from the precision ag equipment or um, they load their field boundaries and they they point and click on fields on a map and identify you know, six fields planted corn and five fields planted soybeans along with their plant date and they hit submit and that data goes to the USDA. I love technology when it works and it sounds like this does a lot to save them time and energy, Deb. I have just one final question for you before we let you go. What is the cost associated with using my ag data? Right now, um, it is $99 per tax ID per year. Um, model is a lot like, like the IRS in that I pay for my tax reporting software and I pay a filing fee. So it's a similar model to that to report their acres. Fantastic. Well, Deb Casarello with My Ag Data, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, I appreciate the time, Delaney and Ashton, and have a great day. Very interesting conversation with Deb from My Ag Data. Always love talking to folks about agriculture technology, of course. It is great to talk ag technology here on the podcast, and we're always talking about technology and other things impacting the world of agriculture. So be sure to follow along with us on social media at Ag News Daily or catch up on any of our past episodes at agnewsdaily.com. Ashton, with that, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.